theyeshiva.net. So thank you very, very much. And I want to welcome my dearest, beloved brothers and sisters from Mexico City, one of the most incredible, maybe the most incredible community. I had the privilege of visiting hundreds of Jewish communities, but the time I spent with the Mexico City community is so cherished by me because of the love and the warmth and the atmosphere and the ambiance and the connectivity and the achadut, the unity and the passion that exists in your community. So thank you, first of all, for the privilege of having this special opportunity to address you on such a vital topic. You know, learning how to create harmony and unity in our families, actualizing the vision of Judaism as parents, dealing with our struggling children. I also want to welcome all the communities that are here. I know we have from Panama, and we have from Venezuela, and we have from Ecuador, and we have from other places in South America, and we have from all over the world. So I want to welcome whoever is joining us. I see we have here on the Zoom close to 500 people, which is maybe couples, so it's, I think, more than 1,000 people, and there's other websites that are... Uh, are uh, are streaming this program, so I think we have hundreds or thousands of people here. Bruchim and welcome to everybody, and I think the attendance only demonstrates how important this topic is to all of us, and how personal it is for so many of us. And that's what I want to begin in the begin. That's what I want to say right away. We're living now in a very, very unique time, right? You remember the beginning of Hemingway's book: "It's the best of times and the worst of times." In many ways, our times are unprecedented in blessings. And on the other hand, also tremendous challenges. One of the big challenges that we're seeing today is that so many families have children who are struggling with Judaism and struggling with the family and struggling with their parents. People used to think that this was true about families that were broken or families that were dysfunctional or families where there was no good education or families where there was no beautiful Shabbat and no good chinuch and no good schools and no parents that were dedicated. You know, families that you could predict that the children will maybe find different paths. But today we see that those uh, facts are not relevant. You have today in hundreds and thousands of Jewish families across the board from every conceivable community, Ashkenazim and Sephardim and Yemenites and Edut HaMizrach and Hasidim and Yeshivish and Litvish and Torahic and what's called modern Orthodox and Zionistic and non-Zionistic and very Yeshivish <laughs> and very Hasidic Literally, the entire spectrum of the Jewish Torah community is dealing with this struggle, with this challenge. There's probably not a single family that I know that is not affected, either directly with children or nephews or nieces or cousins or relatives or neighbors, but almost every single family and some beautiful, beautiful families, good fathers, good mothers, fathers who sit and learn all day, and all night, or fathers who work hard to support their family and learn Torah, and mothers who are dedicated and good and kind and righteous 
and full, filled with Yirat Shamayim, with fear of Hashem, awe of Hashem. And how homes where there's a lot of good things happening and good people. But nonetheless, the fact is, and nobody can deny this, wherever you go, that so many of our youth, so many of our young women, and so many of our young men, our teenagers, our children, males and females, are struggling. Struggling on different levels, struggling in different ways, but struggling. Some, sometimes the struggles are very, very serious. You're dealing with serious addiction, sometimes suicide, overdose, drug addiction, or other forms of addiction, where their lives sometimes become extremely, extremely challenging and painful. Sometimes they're not into addiction so much, but they struggle emotionally, some of them struggle mentally, and many of them, many of them leave Yiddishkeit. They leave, at least on some degree, the path of Torah and Mitzvahs. And that's what I want to address this evening. And that's why so many, everyone, this is, that's why this is the topic today. Because there's nobody, I'm telling there's nobody who's not affected. And tonight, I want to make a few points that I think and I hope can be extremely helpful. And let me right away begin. I'm going to jump right into it. I'm going to discuss a few different aspects, a few different angles. And may Hashem... Maybe put yourself on mute, whoever, has the noise over there so everybody can hear. And may Hashem be with us and give me and all of you the strength that we should be able to be conduits to make the right decisions and to do the right things in this situation. The first thing I want to share with you is a story, a personal story that happened with me. I was traveling once to a community and I spoke about children and parents and I spoke about the fact that we live in a day, in a time when the most important thing for parenting is that we have to be able to remain absolutely connected to our children under all circumstances and without any strings attached. We need to be connected to our children in the deepest way. And I explained during my speech that today we know that in most of the cases, the idea of throwing a child out of your home or throwing a child out of your family or disconnecting from your child could sometimes spell the difference between life and death. And it's usually one of the biggest, biggest mistakes that parents could make to cut off their connection with a child. There was a father who came over to me after the speech and he asked me, he says, Rabbi, why, why? Where were you 35 years ago? Why didn't you give the speech then? 35 years ago, I wasn't giving speeches. I was a young boy. I was learning in yeshiva. I say, why? With tears in his eyes, he tells me. He says, I'm a Baal Tshuva. I come from a secular family. And me and my wife both returned to Judaism at a later stage in life. We already had children. And we moved to a beautiful Jewish community. And we had a teenage son. And he did not conform to the standards of orthodoxy. He didn't fit into the yeshiva. They didn't want him to stay in the yeshiva. And he didn't want to be religious. So he said, I went to somebody to consult him what I should do. This is 35 years ago. And the man told me that you have to give your son an ultimatum and tell him, either you shape up and you start living the way we expect you to live, 
And if not, you can't be in the house anymore. So I told the person, what am I supposed to do? He says, change the locks. Change the locks in the house. He's going to want to have a house. He'll fix everything up and he'll come back. He said, you sure? He said, yeah, don't worry about it. No kid wants to be thrown out of the house. He tells this to me. He says, I did it. My wife and I wanted to do the right thing. So we called in our son and we said, there's an ultimatum. You have to change your ways. He said, no, I don't want to. They said, we said, well, you can't be in this house. And we changed the locks. Two weeks later, we changed the locks. And he couldn't come back home. The father looks at me, sobbing. He says, Rabbi Jacobson, it's been 35 years. I have not seen my son. I have not met my son. I have not received a telephone call from him. My wife hasn't received a telephone call from him. We never heard from him again. And a few years ago, I found out that he married a non-Jew. And he has non-Jewish children today from his wife, who's not Jewish. And he says, and I want to tell you something else that nobody knows. For 35 years, I did not sleep one night. I did not have one peaceful night of sleep in my bed because of what happened. And he looks at me and he says, Rabbi, why, why? Why were you not here? Why were you not here 35 years ago to give this speech? Why were you not here 35 years ago to give this speech? Friends, all I could do was cry and give him a hug. My heart was torn to pieces. I felt so horrible. I'm looking at this father, broken, shattered, devastated. I want to tell you something. I'm not judging. I've learned not to judge people. I don't judge people. I don't judge people until you don't, until you haven't, you know, until you don't put on their shoes and walk in their shoes a couple of hundred miles. Svat Emet says, You're not going to reach somebody else's place. I'm not even judging that person who gave him this advice. That person thought, you know, if his father said, get out of the house, he would run back. He thought that this teenager is going to come running back. He didn't realize. I'm not even judging him. But the point is, I realized how sometimes we just simply don't diagnose the situation. We don't realize the consequences. This poor father and mother, they were trying to do the right thing. They were trying to do what Hashem wants. They were trying to educate their child with Torah, with mitzvot, with Yirat Shamayim, right? With Halacha. And what happened? They lost their child and they can't forgive themselves. So I say to you, my dearest friends, we live in a generation where we cannot afford to separate emotionally from our children. Sometimes your child will cause you pain. Sometimes your child will do something that is very, very difficult to watch. Sometimes your heart is screaming. You want to say, get out of my house. Go find another house. Go move to Muncie. Go move to New York. Go to Yerushalayim. Eat Lafa there. Don't stay in my house and ruin my whole family and ruin my Shabbat and ruin my holidays. Me and well, your mother, you know how much Mesirut Nefesh we had for Yiddishkeit, for Halakha. And look what you're doing. In I understand. You're human. We're all human. We have emotions. We get angry. We get upset. But this is what's important. 
You could feel your emotions. You can have your compassion for your emotions. But then ask one question. Ask not what your children can do for you. Ask what you can do for your children. Ask not what God can do for you. Ask what you can do for God. What does Hashem want you to do in this situation? We know today that there is not a single case of a parent who threw out a child and the child came back. We do know that every parent who remains connected to their child, it can save lives. We never have guarantees in this world. Ultimately, everyone has choices and everyone has different journeys that their neshama, their soul goes through. But when your child feels connected to you emotionally, when your child feels that your home is their home and your table is their table and they feel your love and they feel your pride, it has an incredible, powerful, powerful impact. And I want to take it one, for, I want to take it one step further and explain what's happening. You see, we often completely don't understand our children. You think, we think, your child is 14 or 13 or 16 or 17. She's not dressing the way you want her to dress. He's walking around without, uh, without a keeper. He doesn't come to the synagogue. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't want to learn Torah, whatever it is. And you're getting angry. Chutzpah. Disgusting. You're arrogant. You're spoiled. But I want to tell you something. We know today, almost every single child wants to give nacha to the parents. A child wants to make his mother proud and father proud. A child wants to continue the tradition of their father and mother. And when they choose not to, in 99% of the cases, it's because there's something that they're suffering from. There's pain. There's something that's broken. I have spoken to some of the top, top, top therapists today who live today, who have dealt with thousands and thousands of teenagers. I know a therapist in Jerusalem who has seen 10,000 teenagers who left Yiddishkeit. 10,000. And I asked him, I said, Rib Shimon, his name is Rib Shimon Russell, I said, Rib Shimon, how many of them left Yiddishkeit just because they're bad kids, because <laughs> they ate Sahara, they just didn't want? He says, 10,000, and I haven't found even one that was not dealing with trauma. Now, you may not know what that trauma is. They may not know what that trauma is. But we have to understand that most of these children, something is broken inside. And the worst thing to do to a broken person is to break them further. What these children need more than anything else is not for me to give them musr. What they need for me more than anything else is for me to make them feel whole. Because their alienation is not coming from wholeness, it's coming from brokenness. I'll give you a simple example. Imagine, imagine, your whole family are athletic. Like in Mexico, you guys are, many of you are athletic. And the whole family decides, we're going to run on a marathon. And for six months, you're preparing. 
you're running every day, three miles, five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles, 20 miles, right? You know those families? No pizza, no cheesecake, no pancakes, no rugelach, no seven-layer cake, yeah? Only kale and spinach, good food, some good protein. You're running, everybody's running, everybody's excited. And then your boy, your 15 or 16-year-old boy looks at you and says, Tati, mommy, daddy, mammy, I'm not going. I'm not going to the marathon. So you get upset. Chutzpah, we invested so much. I'm going to punish you. You're not going to be part of the family. I'm not taking you on the trip to Israel. You're not going here. You're not going there. And somebody tells you, relax, relax. Do it positively. Give him positive reinforcement. So instead of punishing, you say, you know what? If you do the marathon, I'll give you $1,000. If you do the marathon, I'll give you a special reward. I'll take you to Disney World. I'll take you to Israel. I'll take you here. I'll take you there. I'll buy you a gift. And then one day you find out that this child, both of his legs broke. He broke both of his legs. He can't run the marathon. So when I was screaming at him, I'm going to punish you, get out of my house. Or even when I was giving him positive reinforcement, you can do it, you can do it. I'm completely missing the point. The child's legs are broken, he can't. Now he didn't tell that to me. Maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he's too embarrassed. Maybe he thinks I'm not going to believe him. Maybe he's unaware. There could be so many reasons. He didn't tell me what's happening. Even my positive reinforcement was abusive. What does this child need? This child doesn't need you to talk about the marathon. This child needs you to take them and put them on a bed and bring them a cast and help them heal their wounds and bring them a good doctor and calm them down and assuage them and caress them and love them and let them get back to health and let them heal. And then they're going to run the marathon on their own. Today, in most cases, what we're seeing is children are not rebelling because they just want to be bad. You'll see, most of the children that leave Yiddishkeit, you can ask any mother and father, are the most sensitive ones in the family and the most intelligent ones in the family and the most spiritual ones in the family. Ask any mother and father, your child who left Judaism when he was seven or she was eight, Were they kind or were they cruel? Were they wise or were they dumb? Were they sensitive or were they brute? Were they caring or were they was narcissistic? And every mother will tell you, he was the most spiritual, sensitive, beautiful, kind boy. So what do you think happened? You think at the age of 16, your son suddenly became a sadistic rasha? He became a wicked, wicked person because he watched a movie or because he got a phone or because his friend gave him weed or because uh, he met a girl or because of something else that happened. You think suddenly your boy or your girl were transformed into horrible, horrible people. Come on, you're intelligent parents. That's not what happened. What happened was something is not working, something is broken. So you know what these kids need more than anything else? What they need is parents to believe in them. Parents who stay close to them. Parents who respect them. Parents who enjoy them. It's painful. It's painful. And it's also embarrassing. You may be embarrassed from your father and your mother and your uncle and your aunt and your brother and your sister and your rabbi and your neighbor. 
And you may be looking at your sister, and you see your sister has so many kids, and they're all from, and they all get married, and this one goes to Lakewood, and this one goes to Demir, and this one goes to Brisk, and this one goes to Parat Yosef, and this one goes to Slabotka, and this one goes to Hevron, and this one goes to Bonovich, and this one goes to the second Brisk, and this one goes here and there. Amazing, beautiful kids. Best Shidduchim. And we, 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 me and my wife, we're the losers. This kid is not doing this, and this kid is not doing this. It's so embarrassing. We get upset at our children because they're embarrassing us. My dearest friends, this is the moment where you have to ask yourself, what is Judaism? Is Judaism about impressing the community? Is Judaism about looking good for everybody else? Is Judaism about making sure that everybody's just Nachat, 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 nachat. Is that Judaism? That's not Judaism. That's social, that's social validation. Judaism is about asking myself, what does Hashem want from me at this moment? What Hashem wants from me at this moment is to prioritize my child, to be here for my child to let go of everything else and say, I am here for my child. The Torah says in Parshat Vayigash, Yehuda speaks to Yosef, the Prime Minister of Egypt, and he says that he cannot go home without Binyamin because Yaakov Avinu will die because nafshah kshura binafshah. The soul of Yaakov is connected to the soul of Binyamin. So the Baal HaTurim, the great commentator on Chumash, Rabbeinu Yaakov Baal HaTurim, writes that there's one more place in the Tanakh, the word Kshura is used. One more place. In Parshat Vayigash, V'Navsho Kshura B'Navsho, one more place. We're in Mishle, in Proverbs. The Pasuk, the verse says, Ivelet Kshura B'Levnar. Ivelet is iniquity. Crookedness, folly, stupidity is tied up. It's bound up. It's in, in, it's etched. It's embedded in the heart of the youth. So the Bala Turim says, what's the connection between the two Kishuras? Why in these two verses does the Torah use the word Kishura? Bala Turim gives two interpretations. The second one is fabulous. He says, because Ivelet Kishura Belevnar, the only way to eliminate it is v'nafshay kshura v'nafshay. Because sometimes there's negativity that is deeply embedded and entrenched and ingrained in the soul of the child, the only way I can remove it is if my soul is embedded in his soul, if my soul is intertwined and interconnected and knotted v'nafshay kshura v'nafshay. What the Balaturim is saying is, sometimes you see your child struggling, and you know what you want to do? You want to go away, you want to detach. A father told me, he said, you know, my son comes home at night, and I don't want to fight with him, I don't want to argue with him. So when he comes home, I go upstairs to my bedroom, and I close the door, so I don't have to get into a fight with him. And the father was very proud of himself. He says, I don't fight with him, I don't argue with him, I don't debate him, I let him do what he wants. And I told the father, no, 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 that's not what your son needs. Your son doesn't need that when he comes home and he puts the key into the door, you should run upstairs and lock the door. 
and watch my clips in your bedroom. That's not what your son needs. Your son needs that you should stay downstairs. And when he comes home, you give him a big hug. And when he comes home, you spend time with him. And when he comes home, you connect to him. Because the only way to substitute those things that our children become connected to is through our connection with them. Everybody needs to be connected. Everybody. The question is to what? The Torah says, the first thing the Torah says is not good. What's the first thing the Torah says is not good? Lo tov adam levado. It's not good for a person to be alone. Today we know in science that the antithesis of addiction is not sobriety. The antithesis of addiction is connection, attachment. When a person is alone, when a person is in isolation, it's not good. So people need to feel attached, they need to feel connected. And they're going to become connected to something. Either they're going to become connected to porn, or they're going to become connected to drugs, or they're going to become connected to people who will use them, or they will become connected to superficial friendships, or they will become connected to their phones, they'll become connected to their screens, they'll become connected to, to this or to that. People need to be connected. And the only way to help them is not by disconnecting, by you becoming connected to them, by them feeling their connection with you. These children need you more than any other children. They say about the Satmer Rebbe, Rabbeinu Yoyal Teitelboim, Zechet Tzadik Levracha. One of the principals in Satmer said that he once came to the Satmer Rebbe and he said, you know, we have a problem. He says, what's the problem? He said, we have a class in yeshiva. All the boys are good. They learn, they pray, they're very good. But there's two boys who are really not interested. They're just not interested. And they're going to ruin the class. What should we do? We want to expel them. So the Satmar Rebbe said, what about the other boys? He said, the other boys are mwah, 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 mwah. They're amazing. He said, the other boys need you? If they, if you wouldn't be there, would they be good? He says, yeah, they'll be, they're, they're just good kids. So Satmar Rebbe said, so this is what you should do. You should expel the whole class, send them home and keep these two kids in the yeshiva. You don't throw out these two kids, you throw out everybody else. They'll be fine. Send them home, let them go to another yeshiva. They'll be fine. These two kids you keep here. When your child is struggling, you don't throw them away. Those are the children you need to be closest to. Now it's hard. Because you may have a whole family and you have other children and you're afraid that they're going to influence the other children. But let me explain to you how it works. The way it works is you have to help all the children understand if God forbid there's a family and a child has cancer or a child has an illness, we don't throw them out of the house. We explain to all the children, they can't go to school, they can't go to the synagogue, they may not even come to the table. We help them because they're struggling, they're sick. We explain to all our our children that we want to help this boy. We want to help this girl. Somebody told me, because my oldest boy left Yiddishkeit, all my boys left Yiddishkeit. I said, no, it's not because of him. What he was struggling with, the other kids are also struggling with. And he revealed it, so it, it came out by them too. It turned out that the father molested four kids, and they all left... They blamed the oldest boy. They didn't blame the oldest boy. What, the oldest boy wasn't guilty. What happened to the oldest boy happened to all of them. And when they saw what the oldest boy did, they had the courage to come out. What's my point? My point here is, and this is so important to understand, 
It's very easy to get angry at these kids. It's very easy to become a tzaddik and say, I don't have patience for you. You're a shayim, you're wicked. But let me tell you, my dearest friends, what these children really need is hitkashrut. They need your love. They need your connection. Don't run away from your children. They have only you. And I want to tell you something. You could send your children to the greatest therapists in the world, but nobody can do for your children what Tati and Mommy can do for a child. Nobody. Some therapists are amazing and great, but nobody can do for your child what a father and mother can do for a child. The miracles that a father and mother can do for a child, nobody can do for a child. But for this, we need a few things. Number one, we have to be very, very humble. Very humble. Because it's so easy to become arrogant and say, you're embarrassing our family. You're destroying our family. It's so important to be humble. Number two, it's so important to ask what Hashem really wants from me. Number three, it's so important not to sacrifice our children on the altar of religion. It's so easy for religion to become self-righteous. And in the name of religion, we can be cruel. We can be narcissistic. We can be selfish. But I have to ask myself, is Yiddishkeit about me being this beautiful, holy person and saying, ah, I'm the holiest Jew in the world? Or is Yiddishkeit about asking what Hashem wants from me right now at this moment? We also need something else. You need a good support system because it's painful. You also need to be able to have compassion for your emotions and you have to have a good marriage. Because when a husband and a wife are together, they can deal with these types of crises. I want to tell you a story. There was a famous Jew in Bnei Brak, Reb Galinsky. Reb Galinsky was a Magid. He was a very interesting man. He came from Navardic. He learned in Navardic Yeshiva. He was in Siberia. He once went into the Stipler Gon. You know who the Stipler was, yeah? Stipler Gon Zatzal. Reb Yaakov Yisrael Kanievsky. He was the father of Hagon Ha'adir, Rabbi Chaim Kanievsky who just passed away a few months ago. The stipler was his father. He came from a city called Horin Stipel in the Ukraine. And Abyankele Galinsky shared that he was once by the stipler gone. The stipler Gaon, Rabbi Kanevsky, Rav Kanevsky told him, he said, I just had a new insight and I want to share it with you. And this was the insight. You know, it says that when Yaakov Avinu, Yaakov our father, ran away from his brother Esau, he ran away to his uncle Lavan. So later he tells God, avarti et I crossed the Jordan only with my stick. So Rashi says he only had a stick. His father didn't give him anything else. Why not? So Rashi says that Yitzchak gave Yaakov a lot of money and a lot of wealth. However, Esau sent his son Eliphaz to kill Yaakov. And when Eliphaz came to Yaakov, he wanted to kill him because Esav told him to kill him. But Rashi says he couldn't kill him. Why? Eliphaz grew up in the bosom of Yitzchak, so he couldn't kill Yaakov. But he told Yaakov, I have to listen to my father. So Yaakov told him, a poor person is like a dead person. Take all my money and I'll be poor. And it's considered that I'm dead. So Eliphaz took Yaakov's money, so Yaakov came to love him completely broke. So the Stiplegon says to the Bianca Legalinsky, he says, let's think about this. Who was Eliphaz? Eliphaz was the son of Esau. The Torah says in Parshas Vayishlach that Eliphaz was one of the most immoral people. 
His relationships were so promiscuous. The promiscuity, the arayot of Eliphaz. Eliphaz had relations with his mother and with his daughter. And everybody there was illegitimate and mamzerim. The Gemara in Sanhedrin and Rashi makes all the calculations. Eliphaz was a real, real rotten tomato. He grew up ace of son. And who was his son? Eliphaz, Eliphaz was the father of Amalek. So you understand who Eliphaz was. So what would Yitzchak do with Eliphaz? What would you think? Esav, Yitzchak tolerated, he's my son. But Eliphaz, his grandson, you should throw him out of the house. So Rashi says, Yitzchak. Yitzchak kept Eliphaz not only in his house, he kept him on his lap. He kept him on his bosom. Friday night when Yitzchak was sitting at the table and he was singing, who was sitting on his lap? Eliphaz. Eliphaz. He was singing Kol Mekadesh. He was singing Kori Boin Olam Vialmaya. Antu Malka Malach Malchaya. Eliphaz was sitting on his lap. He kept Eliphaz close to him. Even though Yitzchak was a big tzaddik, Yitzchak knew who Eliphaz was. So the stipler said, the stipler gone said, now look at this. You would think, okay, Yitzchak was a nice zaydi, he was a nice grandfather. He says, no. Because of that, the whole Kalal Yisrael was saved. Because Eliphaz would have killed Yaakov. And if Yaakov would have been killed on the way to Lavan, there would not be the Jewish people today. But because Yitzchak held Eliphaz in the house, and he kept him close to himself, and he embraced him, and he raised him, and he nurtured him, and he loved him. So yes, Eliphaz didn't become Rabban Shalkol Bnei Hagola. He didn't become Reb Chaim Kanevsky. He didn't become the Chazoynish. He didn't become the Briske Rav. He didn't become uh, Reb Yosef. He didn't become Reb Shleim Zalman Oyabach. That's true. He didn't become the Vilna Gon. But you know what? All of the Jewish people are around today because Eliphaz would not lay his finger on Yaakov. Why? Because Yitzchak kept him close. The Stipler Gon said this to the Bianca Galinsky. And now I'm going to add something. You open up the book of Eov, the book of Job. I think it's chapter 4, chapter 6. says, Vayan Eliphaz HaTemani. Eov, Eov, Job, had three friends. And they all spoke to him. Beautiful words of Ruach HaKodesh, of divine inspiration. And one of them is Eliphaz. And Rashi says, Because he grew up in the bosom in the house of Yitzchok, Sharta Alav Ruach HaKodesh. Divine inspiration came down and dwelled on him. So here's Eliphaz, who was no good in the key, was involved in a lot, a lot of not nice stuff. But the holiness of Yitzchak impacted him and elevated him. Generations later, the divine inspiration, Ruach HaKodesh, dwells on Eliphaz. And he becomes one of the characters in Tanakh who speaks the beautiful words of Eov, the beautiful words of Job. Says the stipler, this teaches you, you never, ever, ever cut yourself off from your child, from your grandchild. Yes, he may not become the tzaddik ador. Eliphaz wasn't even Jewish. 
Eliphaz wasn't Jewish. Esav was considered Jewish. Yisrael Mumer, the Gemara in Kedushin Yudches. Eliphaz was not. And still, before Matan Torah, he wasn't even Jewish. By holding on to him, all of Klal Yisrael was saved. Can you imagine what we accomplish when we hold on tight to our children? We have to remember something else. We have to remember something else. The Gemara says in Kedushin Daf Lamed Medbet, it is an argument between a Meir and a Yehuda. And the argument is, when are Jews called Hashem's children? Rabbi Yehuda says, when they behave like children. When they don't behave like children, they're not called children. Reb Meir argues with Rabbi Yehuda and he says, Whether you behave or you don't behave, you're always called Hashem's children. And he brings four psukim, four verses in Torah that even when Jews are engaged in idolatry and even when Jews are alienated from Hashem, they're still called Banim, children. Shichet lo, banav. They're always Hashem's children. And it's fascinating. The Rajbe writes in Shalsutruvus Harajbe, I think, Kuftzadik Dalat, in all of Gemara and Mishnah, when there's an argument between a Meir and a Behuda, the law follows like Rabbi Yehuda. That's what the Gemara says in Erevin and other places. Here's an exception. Here the law follows Rabbi Meir. The halach is that even a Jew who leaves Judaism, if he marries a woman, it's kiddushin, he needs a get. We don't treat him completely like a Gentile. Even a Jew who doesn't keep Shabbos, and you can't drink his wine, and he's involved in idolatry. And the Rambam says, But if he betrothes a Jewish woman, she needs a get. Asks the Rajba, why is the halacha like Reb Meir? And he says, because four psukim support him. And I would add one more thing. History has proven that Reb Meir was right. If you ask Joseph Mengele in Auschwitz and Birkenau, who do you send to the gas chambers? The Hasidim? The Rashi Yeshivot? The big Tzadikim? The big Lamdim? Every Jew. What about if he's a Jew? He's an atheist. He doesn't put on tefillin. doesn't keep Shabbos. doesn't eat kosher. doesn't wear a yarmulke. doesn't believe in God. Didn't open up a Gemara in 25 years. Doesn't know what you doesn't keep you in Kippur. Joseph Mengele would say, he's Jewish, gas chambers. History validated the mayor, Bain Kachu, Bain Kach, Atem Kruyim, Bonim. In Auschwitz, they didn't ask, what type of yarmulke do you wear? What type of hat? Which nusach do you daven? How long does you pay your payas or your beard? Do you wear streimel on Shabbat and a long capota or black coat, or do you wear a suit? Do you wear a tie? You were Jewish. You had to be murdered. Our enemies understood that every Jew is holy. Every Jew is holy, as the great Kabbalists and mystics say. The soul of a Jew is a chelik eloika mi ma'al mamash. The soul of every Jew is a piece of Hashem. And the Zohar says, Gufa de Lohon Kadisha. The body of a Jew is sacred. Every one of our children is a piece of Hashem. 
every one of these children, even those children who disappoint, and even those children who make different choices, and even those children who cause you headaches and you don't sleep at night, every one of those children is a chelik mamish. Every one of those children is called a child of Hashem. Hashem says about them, Ahafti etchem, I love you. Rashi, this week's parsha. He says, Moshe Rabbeinu tells the Jewish people, you believe that God hates you, but the truth is, who are you? He loves you. About every single child in Navi, Yeshaya says, God says, Each one is a branch of my plant, my sapling, the work of my hands, a person in whom I boast, I brag. I glorify myself. Hashem looks at your child and he says, Wow, ah, I can't be prouder of this person. Can you do that to your child? Can you look at your child and despite everything say, I don't only love you unconditionally, I am proud of you. Can you see the light in your child's face? Can you see the holiness in your child's eyes? Can you see the depth in your child's soul, even if they're on a journey, even if they're struggling? And here's the deal, friends. We want our children to believe in themselves. And the only way these children can believe in themselves is if we believe in them. You need to believe in those kids. You need to hold them onto those kids. And you know what? Have fun with these children. Do good, do connect to them. Do sports with them, play frisbee with them, play basketball with them, play football with them, make a barbecue, go for pizza, go for hikes, go for shopping, go for swimming, connect, bond, do things that will make them feel that they're connected to you, they have a father, they have a mother. I want to conclude with this final thought, and then we'll open up the floor to questions. We're living today in a time, and not everybody likes to hear this, but let me tell you something. These children will make you much better people. These children who are putting you through the ringer will allow you to become real Jews, and I want to explain what's happening. You see, what I'm seeing is that many of the children are actually on a very, very high level. I call them Mashiach children. They are children who cannot deal with Judaism, that is superficial, that is intellectually dishonest. They cannot deal with corruption. They cannot deal with dishonesty. They cannot deal with lies. And they also cannot deal with a relationship with God that is not deep and meaningful and authentic and real and powerful. And they also can deal with repression. They don't like when we repress things and we don't talk about things and we're not honest about things. These are very, very sensitive children. These are children whose souls belong to the era of redemptive consciousness of Gaula. And therefore they need a real, authentic, deep relationship in a way that we might have never experienced Judaism. And I say to you, when you show up for these children, they will make you better people. They will make you more honest, more authentic. They will help you confront your insecurities, your traumas, your ego. 
they will turn you into real Oivdei Hashem, real Jews. Because in order to be able to connect to these kids, I have to confront all of my own insecurities and my own inability to really confront what's happening inside of me, the traumas and skeletons inside of me. And that's why each of these children is really, really a gift. Each of these children, if you let them, will turn you into an amazing parents and amazing human beings. The last nevuah, the last prophecy that Hashem gave the Jewish people, Malachi, the end of Malachi, what are the last words? The last nevuah, the time of Mashiach, Veheshiv lev avot al-banim, velev banim al-avotam. So the commentators say, Hashem will bring back the hearts of the parents through their children. This is our finest hour. This is your finest hour. We can transcend our fears. We can transcend our insecurities. We must transcend our egos. We have to go beyond the blame game and become channels for divine love and divine infinity to be able to change our paradigms, to be able to go out of our religious comfort zones, religious comfort zones that sometimes keep us stuck in our narcissistic egos in the name of religion as we sacrifice our children on the altar of social conformity. It's time for we us to go through an inner transformation because the greatest work of raising children is really raising yourself. <laughs> you want to know what the real work of educating children is? Educating yourself, educating myself, going deeper into myself and seeing what is my resistance, what is my fear, what is my struggle, why am I holding back, why am I frozen? And when we can do that, we can open our hearts and open our souls and allow these beautiful children to shine and to cast their light on the world. Thank you. Rabbi Yitzchak, you probably have a few questions. First of all, thank you so much, Rabbi Jacobson. This was a powerful, powerful speech. from all these messages that we're getting, unbelievable, Rabbi Jacobson. um, You changed my life tonight through tonight's speech, and I'm sure that you changed the life of hundreds of listeners here. And I will give the honor to Rabbi Yitzra to ask his questions that he received. And I received also a few questions in Spanish. Chavot, Rabbi Yitzchak, um, if you can ask those questions, Bechavot. Yes. Thank you very much, Baruch. Rabbi Jacobson, Bechavot. he said before, it was a, it, it, it was Bezrat Hashem, potential life-changing Drasha, thank you very, very much. A few questions that came up, which I believe each one of them, you can give an individual shield on them. But uh, you mentioned at the beginning, when you mentioned the story of the marathon, you mentioned maybe trauma. You mentioned Rabbi Russell mentioning that all the, as, a, as a parent, what are we supposed to, uh, like, if we know nothing, so we know nothing. We're like, what are we supposed to do in our uh, total ignorance? 
It's an unbelievable question. As parents, what are we supposed to do in our ignorance? (laughs) So here's the first thing, let me just tell you. Whenever you're dealing with a child who's struggling, I'm saying this to you on a very, very personal note, only take advice from people who are experts in this area. Just like you don't go to a dentist when you have stomach pains, (laughs) and you don't go to a cardiologist for neuroscientific expertise. Sometimes people go for advice to people who are wonderful people. But if they are not well-versed and well-aware of this whole sugi, of this whole parsha, of how to deal with it, they may be wonderful people, but their advice may be terribly, terribly off. So just be very careful. Make sure you're going to advise the people who have real experience. I don't mean experience with one person or two people. People who have dealt with this for years, they know what works, they know what doesn't work. Because people can give the most genius advice, but if this rabbi or this rebbitzin or this great person did not have a child who struggled, he doesn't know. He doesn't know. It's not his fault. He simply doesn't know. So this brings me now to the question, what do we do? The first thing we have to realize is that we often just don't know anything. And that's why it's so important as our children grow up to be alert, to be present, to notice what's going on. Trauma comes in different ways. There's children who are molested. That's very serious. Children who are abused physically, sexually, emotionally, sometimes for many months, sometimes for many years, sometimes through a a member in the house, a sibling, a grandparent, an uncle, an aunt, a babysitter, a first cousin comes for Shabbat. A first cousin comes for Shabbat. And 10 o'clock at night, you're having the meal, and he takes your little sister, your little daughter, your little son. We never know. Sometimes siblings can do it. So it's so important to be able to be connected to each one of our children, to notice what's happening as they grow up. Remember, there's also different types of trauma. There's what's called today developmental trauma. A child who's in the classroom for years, and the child feels like a loser, even if nobody insulted him and nobody beat him and nobody molested him or her. But sometimes this child feels so much pain from their connection with this place. And as a result of that, they're going to shut down. They're going to become disconnected. They're going to go offline. So we have to always be alert and aware of what our children are going through. Our children are very sensitive today. And some children are very sensitive, uniquely sensitive. We call them HSP, highly sensitive people. Now, you may not know anything and suddenly your child is 15 or 16 or 17 and you start seeing things. So the most important thing is don't react from a place of anger and from a place of ignorance. You need to realize that maybe this child went through something or is going through something and we need to be able to be there for them now. When they're so young, they may not be able to talk about it. They may not even know. It may be repressed. It may be subconscious. And that's why it's even more important that we hold on tight to them. It's important that they feel connected to us. It's important that they feel safe. You see, every child needs the four S's. Every child needs to feel safe in that home, secure, seen, and soothed. Safe, secure, seen, and soothed. Very, very important. That gives a child healthy attachment. And when they grow up, they can develop healthy relationships. If they didn't have that, if they didn't feel safe, if they didn't feel secure, if they didn't feel seen, if they didn't feel soothed, they may have attachment that is very wounded and it's going to translate later in their relationships and their friendships and in their marriages. 
So we need to make sure that as they grow up and they're struggling, they feel their safety. They feel they're secure. They feel that we see them and that we can soothe them. And then hopefully we can help them feel that connection and attachment. So we don't become the enemies. They don't have to fight us. If you fight them, you become the enemy. And now all their anger comes out at you. But if their parents are their greatest allies, they don't have to fight you. You're there for them. And when you're there for them, what happens is as they get older, they could look inside and see what's going on in my life. My father and mother are not the worst people in the world. And then they could slowly seek the help that they need. Sometimes it takes time. Not, you know, not the 16-year-olds don't usually go to therapy successfully. Thank you. Uh, another question that's coming up from different people. Like you mentioned before, we're up to a thousand people, Bezos Hashem, probably, or over, who are watching this, and all different kinds of parents at all different kinds of levels of where their personal children are holding. So some parents are asking me, like, I have a 14-year-old son who not really in the mood of wearing tzitzis. Or another parent asked to just give them what they want. Where, where, how? I understand what you're mentioning is, like you said, most of the drasha was addressing specifically children who are really struggling. But, but it starts earlier, and this kind of parenting doesn't start with a child who... Uh, is struggling. This kind of parenting is what we believe is essential and could uh, actually stop a lot of children from struggling. So how do we how do we make the uh, differentiation? How do we decide what to do? When? Excellent question. What about you have a child who's not struggling so badly? He doesn't want to wear a tzitzit. He doesn't want to make a blessing. He doesn't want to pray. It's not a crisis. It's not a crisis. What do we do? Excellent question. And the answer is as follows. There comes a certain age in life where we can't just throw out commandments on our young children and hope they're just going to jump and say yes. Once they're getting older, once they become teenagers, ultimately they have to make their own decisions. And our job at that moment is not to control them because you can't. You can't. At some point, another month, another month, another year, they're going to be independent. So my job at that moment is not to control and not to get angry. My job at that moment is to bond, to connect. I want to be able to be close to them so I can inspire them. I can model behavior for them. I could be close to them. We can have conversations. We could connect in a deep way. That's the most important thing. The fact that you could scream at your 14-year-old and say, put on your tzitzit, and if you don't put on your tzitzit, get out of the house. Okay, maybe he'll listen, maybe he won't listen. But what are you going to do when he's 15 and 16 and 17 and 18 and 21? What are you going to do then? So we have to realize that at some point, as they're getting older, we need to go away from the mode of control. I control, and you do what I say. Now, I know it's hard, especially for many of us. We grew up in houses Papa says, and you do. Mama says, you do. Right? You do. I don't care what you're feeling. I don't care what you're thinking. I know a lot of us grew up in such homes. But let me tell you something. Today, that's not very successful. Because so many children get turned off. And when you're not looking, they just don't care about Yiddishkeit. Even if they're afraid of you, 
So they'll be afraid of you when you're looking. When you're not looking, they don't care for it. You want your children to be really connected to Torah. You want your children to be really connected to Yiddishkeit. So at some point, you have to realize that fear and control and coercion is very, very, very weak. It doesn't have real power. What does Rashi say in Baalotcha? You want the fire to burn on its own, even when you're not there. And therefore, I want to inspire my child to wear a talit katan. I want to respect him. I want to respect her. I want them to be able to make their own decisions from a place of strength. And the best way to do that is when they feel connected to you, when they feel close to you, when you can have conversations, when you can discuss things, when they can ask questions, when you can share struggles. That's the most powerful way to do it. So, if I understand correctly, there comes a point at a parent when he's being mechan of his child where he has to understand that a child created his own independence. Right? That's where I would put the line between giving um, rules and then understanding that the child has to make his own decisions. I believe that that, that is, that is a, a, a mentality change that every parent has to go through individually. It's not easy. Listen, it's not easy. We, we like when they're very small and, and they could just respond to what we're saying. But I want to tell you also something else. Even when they're small, even when they're young and you could control them, be careful because if the only way you influence your children is through control, they're going to get older one day. So even when they're young... It's important to have rules in the house. But remember, the focus is, if your child doesn't want to do something, what do they say? The happy child is the willing child. The happy child is the compliant child. If your child, even as a little kid, is not, does not want to do something, there's a reason for it. Something may be bothering them. They may be struggling with something. So even when your child is seven, you just scream at them, fine. But you're not really addressing the person. So even at that point, when there are rules and there are structures in the house, you always want to be able to tune into who the child is. You want to, nur- you want to nurture the child. You want to be able to identify who they are, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are what they may be struggling with, and how you can help them shine. You want to help them take responsibility for their life, even when they're young, of course, in a different way. Every age is a different process of chinuch. But the point of education is never, I control and you just do what I say. The point of education is to be able to help the child navigate their own emotions, to be able to help the child understand their own strengths, to be able to help the child deal with their own challenges, with their own conflicts, with their own tension, with their own anxiety. And how do we do that? We never do that by just setting down rules irrelevant to what they're feeling. We do it by creating rules and structures that the child could celebrate, that help the child come out. The rules are here to help a child. The child is not here for the rules. The rules are here for the child. We sometimes make a mistake. We think our child is here to fulfill the rules. No, the rules are here to be able to help the child bring out their light. So this is true about all ages, but especially as they get older, 
Our whole model of education has to change. Does any is anything that I'm saying make sense? <laughs> Anybody agrees with this, or you think uh, this is just uh, liberal garbage? Comments, Rabbi. All the thinkers. I can't even read so many thinkers from everyone. That 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 lecture was unbelievable. It it changed my life. We'll go to the questions after Rabbi Yitzchak through and he's finished with his questions. But I don't know how much time the rabbi will give us. But we can stay the whole night, actually. <laughs> so many thank yous and questions. We can do it again. We can do it again. Listen, my friends, I, I just I just want to tell you something. You know, very often we have a certain way in which we're used to doing things. And it's very hard to change. And we say, this is what Hashem wants. This is what the Torah wants. This is what the Rabbanim want. This is what the Gedolim say. This is how to do it. And that's it. And don't change it. But my friends, very often what we call religion and Torah is really our comfort zone. It's just what I'm used to, it's what I'm comfortable with. And sometimes it's my ego, sometimes it's my insecurity, sometimes it's my fear. So we have to be ready to really challenge ourselves and really grow and really ask ourselves, what do our children really, really need in today's times? Because let me tell you something, your children are very deep, they're very smart and they're very special. When you respect them, they will respect themselves. When you believe in them, they will believe in themselves. When you empower them, they will become empowered. When you will talk to them and talk to their hearts, their hearts will open up. If you try to manipulate them and control them and overpower them and exploit them and just force them into obedience, they're going to shut down. You know why? Because our children today are krem. They're the best of the best. They want real relationship with Hashem. They want an authentic relationship with their parents. They want a deep relationship with Yiddishkeit. They don't want superficial relationship. They cannot deal with people who don't talk honestly. So today we have an opportunity to grow tremendously in our Judaism and to develop relationships that are much more authentic and much deeper. Thank you very much. I really believe that the amount of questions we have, like the rabbi said, is mechayev, another shiur. So um, I'm just going to, I don't know, if back to, I'll go back to the host in a minute, but I'll close on our part, I believe. Gracias, Mehmet, to everybody who joined us this evening. Thank you, Rabbi Jacobson, for sharing Divrei Chachma and Divrei experience with us. Thank you very much. And amen, amen. If Rabbi will let me ask some of the, I got like over 35 questions, but I, would, I wouldn't I wouldn't have 35, I would ask another two questions that I got on Spanish. If the Rabbi will give us the time. Hola, Kavot. Can I ask, Rabbi? Yeah. Thank you so much, Rabbi. So, basically, there is a question. First of all, the first thing he's saying, thank you so much. Thank you for that lecture. A lot of questions were answered in, the, in these lectures. But I have one question. My young boy does not want to learn Torah, and he doesn't want to go uh, uh, pray. How do I approach him? What's the best way to approach him to give him the, about the Torah? and? 
That's the first question. How old is this boy? So he is 14 years. I think the most important thing is you cannot force a 14-year-old to do anything. It's just you can't. It's not going to work. Even if you'll force them for two months, in a year you won't be able to force. So I think the most important thing is to find out what's bothering them. Is the yeshiva boring? Maybe they need to work. Maybe they were hurt. Maybe they feel not accomplished. Maybe the teacher insulted them. Maybe he's bullied by the other kids. Maybe he feels the learning is irrelevant. We have to find out what's, what's, we really have to find out what's happening. I just met a boy last Shabbat, came to my house in Muncie, 15 years old. Brilliant kid, smart, good-looking, athletic, interesting, very creative entrepreneur. I told him he's going to make a lot of money one day. And he told me he left yeshiva, he's done. I said, why? And he told me, he started to tell me his experiences. He says, the, the person there, the mashgiach, one of the yeshivot, was out to get him. Always gave him punishments. He says, I'm not, I don't have patience for these people. I'm not fighting with people. You don't want me? I'm not going to fight. And then I realized that some of these boys... They need to, they need you to be connected to them. They need to feel that you like them, you appreciate them, you respect them, you honor them, you cherish them. I don't know about this boy, so I'm not saying I was just talking to this boy. You know, he said well, I'm fighting with them like like a game. I, he says, "Come on, I want to be here. Respect me." You know, we need relationships with these children. That's one thing. Another thing is, you know, a lot of these children feel like they're not accomplishing anything. The yeshivas. Often the learning is not made for them. It's on a level either much higher, very higher or lower. They don't feel accomplished. So we have to be sensitive to this. Today, children need to feel that they're growing, they're gaining. And we have to understand what is happening with this boy. The same is true with prayer. He may find this prayer is very, very boring and very irrelevant. He also may be hurt. I don't know. I have to talk to this person, but I would listen to him very deeply and I would connect to him. I wouldn't try to judge him and and squeeze him into a particular situation and control him and threaten him because I don't think you're going to be successful. You know, even for another year, he'll go to yeshiva and then he'll leave. I think you want to really, really connect to him and understand what he's going through and figure out what's the best plan for him. Let's remember this. God is infinite, God doesn't have an image. Not every boy has to do the same thing. Different boys need different things. Some boys need to be here. Some boys need to be here. God doesn't have one picture, one image for everybody. There's no one bed, one size that fits every single person. Yeah, I would love my children to go through yeshiva and learn Torah by day and by night and become big Talmidei Chachamim. But you can't force your child into a model. You have to ask yourself, what does Hashem want for this child? Can we have the humility and stop forcing every child into a particular box of what Judaism looks has to look like? Judaism is infinite. God is infinite. God doesn't have an image. Why? Because we don't fit people into certain images. We ask, what does Hashem want from this person? Ma Hashem elokecha shoel mei mach. What does He want from you? What He wants from you is not what He wants from me. What He wants from me is not what He wants from you. So now I ask a question. Hashem created this boy. This boy is God's boy. He's not my boy. I don't own him. It's Hashem's child. What does Hashem want from this soul? How can this soul shine? Think about that. 
We look at this child and say, how do I get him into yeshiva? How do I control him? How do I get him? You don't have to get him into any way. You don't have to control him. Ask a question. What does Hashem want for his soul? Can you help him help himself? Can you help him see his own beauty? Every child wants to shine. We think that these kids are bad kids. They don't want to go to yeshiva. Every child wants to shine. Is there one person here on this Zoom who doesn't want to shine? Anybody? Could you raise your hand? Is there one person here who just wants to die and live a wasted life? You know anybody like that? Unless unless you have been very hurt by life and you don't trust. So you feel isolated. So you don't want to wake up in the morning. So you want to understand what is happening with this child. Can we give him an opportunity to shine? That's how we have to start thinking about our children. Stop thinking about them that they're bad and rebellious and horrible and chutzpah and not religious and terrible and the internet and they have phones and they have tablets and they have computers and they're ruined. Yeah, they may have struggles, they may have addictions. Those tablets and phones are not always healthy and good, but you have to ask another question. And that is, what does this child need in order for them to be able to believe in themselves? In order for them to be able to see their own light? That's the question you have to ask. And it's a very, very deep and humbling question. And it takes a lot of inner discipline and work to work on ourselves to be able to see our children in that light. Rabbi Mizrahi, you understood my answer? Of course, of course. Not I, the entire crowd, because I'm still getting messages. I can't even get to those messages, but I would ask the Rabbi Jacobson to give me an email address where everyone can ask questions and if they'll get the reply because people have a lot of questions and i'm sure that if we will get we will ask all those questions tonight we could be till tomorrow morning well we could do another session we'll do another of session course, of course and the second session could be just questions it's fine okay i'm gonna ask one more questions for tonight and we're gonna have rabbi jacobson just rest a little bit and so he can come back to us soon with another lecture by Zat Hashem. So the question is, I have a child that it doesn't feel loved by us and his reaction is always negative. So I always tell them that I love him and I try to connect to him, but he seems very unconnected to me and he cannot be, I mean, every time I tell them I love him, he doesn't seem to be connected to me. How do yeah. you connect to me? Yeah, how do you connect to a child who doesn't seem to be interested in any connection and we could tell him I love him, but he doesn't respond. So yeah, so obviously there's a pain over there. There's something that's broken, there's something that's hurt. And all you can do is do not respond from a place of anger or disappointment. You have to be on your best behavior. And you continue to nurture that love so that when that child can heal a little bit, they'll be able to feel your presence what often happens is parents respond and say, oh, you're not interested in me, I'm not interested in you. <laughs> we become like children, you know? You insult me, I insult you. You don't answer me, I don't answer you. Don't do that. You know, you, you don't need your, your child to be your best friend. Find other best friends. You don't need your child to validate you. You don't need your child to say, you're such a good mommy, you're such a good tati, ah, mwah, 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 you're the best. Go find yourself a therapist, find yourself good friends, and get validation from them. You don't need your children to be your best friends and give you validation. But let me tell you something. Your children need you to be their best friends. 
Your children need you to give them validation. Your children need you to give them support. Your children need you to make them feel worthy and connected and proud of themselves. That's what they need. So if your daughter or your son are ignoring you, that's fine. But you know what? Don't stop reaching out. When they come into the kitchen and they're groping and they go to the refrigerator and they tell you that there's no food, even though the refrigerator is filled with food, you just smile and say, hi, it's great to see you. And you know what? If you know that your son loves sushi, so go and buy sushi and bring it to his bedroom. You know that your son loves Coca-Cola or your son loves this type of cookie or this type of cake or this type of cereal or this type of ripsteak. So you know what? Make that food and say, here, I made this for you. You show up with your full heart. You show up with your full presence. You show up with your full neshama. You look at this child and see the chilek elokami mal. And you know what? That itself will make the child healthier and stronger. So that when they can show up to life, when they can feel themselves more, when they can get their brokenness healed a little bit, they'll be able to feel your presence, your love. They'll come back. So it's so important that you don't give up. You don't go into a depression. You don't go into a place of anger and vengeance and resentment and negativity and toxicity and I'm not going to reward this chutzpah. But you are completely present and you will see after a while they're going to soften up. They're going to come. They're going to become closer to you. But this takes inner work. You have to really work on yourself. Let me tell you something. When you have a child who's struggling, you have to be very connected to Hashem. Because if not, you're going to fall apart. You have to be very connected to Hashem. You have to have trust. You have to have faith. You have to work on your marriage. You have to be close to your spouse because you have to support each other. And you have to have a good relationship with Hashem. You have to believe in what you're doing. And you have to be a worked-out person. And you have to learn how to deal with anger and with resentment and with depression and with frustration and with arrogance and with shame. Shame is a big one. Your mother is going to come to the house. Your father is going to come to the house and say, what's this chutzpah? Smack him up. Smack him up. You stupid parents. You don't know how to educate your kids. There's always going to come somebody to your house or an uncle and say, you're stupid parents. You spoiled brats, the new generation, frask, frask, like the good old days, everybody smacked us, everybody came out perfect, and these rotten kids, nobody smacks them, everyone keeps them in the house, teach them a lesson, you stupid father and mother, who are you listening, who are you listening to lectures, you're listening to Rabbi Waiwai, you're listening to Avi Fishoff, you're listening to Shimon Russell, that's your problem, listen to me, listen to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> You guys know what I'm talking about? Listen to me. I'll tell you what to do. You throw them out of the house. They don't like it? Fine. Let them get another house. Now, I'm not judging them, but you have to have confidence. You have to say, listen, I don't want my daughter to start cutting herself. I don't want my daughter to start cutting herself. I'm going to tell you a little story. We'll finish with this. A few months ago, I was at the Shabbaton of Kesher Nafshi. Kesher Nafshi is an organization that was founded by my friend Rabbi Gedalia Miller, together with Rabbi Russell and Avi Fishoff, to help parents who are struggling with their children. They have Kesher Nafshi today in Israel. They're doing a convention in a few weeks in Israel. They're doing in America. They do a lot. They did in Europe. They do. They did in Ukraine last year. Measure Bush. 
In any case, not long ago, one of the conventions, one of the fathers shared something. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I want to tell you something, okay? This is a Hasidish, a Hasidic father from a very, very Hasidic community in Brooklyn, New York. Very Hasidic. And he says his daughter and a bunch of her friends, they left Judaism. And his daughter wanted Saturday night that her father should give her money to be able to buy weed, marijuana to smoke up. And he knew that his daughter is struggling and she really needs it and wants it. So he said, yeah, I'm even going to take you. And he would take her every Saturday night to the dealer and he would buy the weed for her and give it to her. Every week. Every single week. And she was a very broken girl. She had a lot of issues. And Years later, she came back to Yiddishkeit, and she was happier, and she was healthier. And she told the father, she said this, you were the only father who said yeah. All the other fathers said no. I'm not going to give money for this. Crazy? You're crazy? And she says, you know what the girls did? You know what the girls did? Every girl. The girls all became prostitutes. They all sold their bodies, and they had their bodies be with men, and got money and bought the drugs. The only one who didn't sell her body for prostitution is me, because my father came and paid for it. Now I want to explain this to you. If you would tell, if I would tell a father, go buy this for your daughter, you'd say, Rabbi Jacobson, you're crazy, you're cuckoo, you're a sick person. You want to drug a child. You want to drug a child, yeah? That's, that, that's what you do. That's dat Torah, yeah? You're crazy, you're a sick person. But this father was right. Because he understood that these girls are all becoming prostitutes. Because they need their drug. And he had to ask himself a question. Do I want to be right? Do I want to be holy? Or do I want to save my child? What do you want? Do you want to be holy? Do you want to be right? Or do you want to save your child? And he understood you save your child. Everybody have a beautiful evening and may Hashem give you all the strength, the direction, the serenity, the empowerment, and the clarity to be able to ask not what your child can do for you. Ask not how your child can give you nachat and make you feel good and make nice family pictures and beautiful resumes for all the Shadchanim in Mexico City and all the Shadchanim in Panama and all the Shadchanim in Brazil and all the Shadchanim in Peru and all the Shadchanim in Ecuador and all the Shadchanim in Caracas, Venezuela and all the Shadchanim in the Caribbean and say, Psst, ooh, this family, wow, 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 wow. Ask a different question. What you, what me, can do for our children. What we can do for our children to be able to help them shine, to be able to help them become the people they truly are, the lights of Hashem in this world. Thank you. Thank you. May all of us have the courage to rebuild our inner Beis Hamikdash in our own hearts, in our homes, in our children. And the way to build the inner base of Mikdash is
ועשו לי מקדש ושכנתי בתוכם, to ask what can I do to be able to be an ambassador of light, of love and of hope and of healing. What can I do to be an ambassador of Hashem for my children, for my loved ones? That's the question. And that's how I can rebuild my own inner Bet HaMikdash. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.